Good morning. It is great to be with you today, and I have to say just thank you because the elders don't get an opportunity to often to come to Wellspring. But thank you for your faithfulness throughout the year. Thank you for your just pray. I'm praising God for your diligence in shepherding your heart and just the fellowship that you guys enjoy. It is a praise to come and just see what the Lord's doing and just watching you all here. Uh, as I'm sure you do every time you come together, you flip your binders over. Uh, and I'm going to go through the disciplines before I teach. And if the font was just a little bit bigger, I might be able to make it without these things. But... Uh, Several years ago, when the elders started build, and we identified six disciplines that we strive for in the church, and as Wellspring came into being, it was good for us to identify three that really affect women in the church and in the home. And discipline one, the heart. It's a woman who prayerfully shepherds her heart towards God through the Word of God and in particular the gospel. Everything we do in our walk with the Lord begins with how we care for our our own hearts. From the outflowing of a shepherding heart is discipline too. It's the impact in the home. It's the woman that ministers to those in her household with her heart for God and for the gospel. And I would even say, if you are here today, and even if you live by yourself, there should be an aroma of God and the gospel in your residence. If you live with your mom and dad, even if they're non-believers, there should be an aroma from each of us that we have been with the Lord. And even more so when we're in a household of a family with other Christians and, and maybe with children that are unbelieving at this point, there, there should be an aroma that we have been with the Lord. From the outflowing of our heart and the, the pouring into our home, the woman of God is then ready for ministry. And with a heart for God and the gospel and fulfilling her ministry within her household, she steps into the church to shepherd others towards God and the gospel. And I know for all of us, I am sure we have seen instances where we have played leapfrog and jumped right into ministry and we have not been caring for our heart. Uh, I know when, as we were praying earlier and, and Lori prayed and she talked about Mary and Martha and it is an easy trap for us to fall into the tyranny of the urgent and so it's, I just encourage you think about the heart think about your heart so let me, let me tell you uh, how this message came to being, uh, be. I was talking with Sarah and with Jamie Siegel and we were talking about how people change and we were talking about sin and helping another person change and, and I walked through this message and it was, uh, it was a great time being with them and then Sarah came and said, would you mind teaching that? And it's like, uh, I'd love to teach you but 
what you're going to hear is probably numerous counseling sessions just kind of thrown out uh, in just so there's going to be time for question because it is kind of set up in a counseling setting that uh, you what you'll hear me say would be something very typical in a counseling setting so feel free to jot down your questions we, we will definitely have time to just talk about about this this message I'm bringing today it's in D1 it's in the category of the heart because it truly starts with shepherding your heart but as you'll see the implications it'll definitely be something applicable to D2 and to D3 so with me getting started let me pray again and uh, we will just uh, dig into this message Lord, again, I do praise you for this day. I praise you for your word, that we can know you. Father, we can know what it is that you want from us. Uh, you, your word is clear, the type of men and women we need to be. Father, I pray that you would give each of us just eyes to our own heart. Father, that we would recognize Father, areas that maybe need to change, maybe areas of sin. Father, I pray that you would just illuminate your word into our hearts this morning. Father, thank you that we have confidence that you are here with us, that you hear our prayer, that you know us so intimately well. And and Lord, thinking of the celebrations of this weekend, Lord, thank you for your son. Thank you for what he accomplished in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. I just thank you for this day, and I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. <clears throat> what we're going to look at today are verses that I'm sure are going to be very familiar to each of you. We're going to spend much of our time together in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, and that's the fruit of the Spirit. But before we get to Galatians 5, I want to quickly remind you what Paul was saying to the Galatian church and why Paul was bringing this message to the Galatian church. Paul was addressing a problem that was going on in the church, and it's a problem that is still fitting today, the culture that we're living in. And in chapter 1... Here's what the problem is. It's in verse 6, Galatians 5, verse 6 and 7. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion in trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. The different gospel that Paul is addressing is a gospel that they believe that they were saved by works. Today in our culture, in the Western culture, there's two very religious systems, very popular religious systems. And one is completely salvation by works, and the other one is Jesus plus works. So I know how applicable this book is. Excuse me, I... The orange blossoms are killing me, but uh, <clears throat> I will get through that. And so I know that in your neighborhoods, you are probably living close to somebody that holds to one of these popular views. 
But Paul identifies the problem in the church and then he lays out a defense of two very important Christian doctrines. And the first one is a clear presentation that a person is saved by grace through faith and not by works. And I'd like you to go to chapter 3 and I'm just going to read verses 1 through 14 because Paul is explaining God's plan, salvation plan. And I love the way chapter 3 starts. Can you imagine this? It says, you foolish Galatians. Can you imagine Paul saying to you, Tom, you fool. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Thank you. Uh, verse 2 I would like to learn just one thing from you did you receive the spirit by observing the law that would be works or by believing what you heard are you so foolish after beginning with the spirit are you now trying to attain the goal by human efforts by your works Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, does God give you His Spirit and works miracles among you because you observed the law or because you believed what you heard? Verse 6, Consider Abraham. He believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham all nations will be blessed through you so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith verse 10 all who rely on observing the law all that are relying on their works are under a curse for it is written cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law verse 11 Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. It is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Paul wants the Galatian church to know that they are saved through by grace through faith. And he wants them to know that they cannot depend on anything that they have done or that they possibly will do. And the second very important Christian doctrine is the sanctification that takes place in every believer. And before I get to chapter 5 that talks about the sanctification process, I want to just give a a quick explanation of sanctification. And I'll start by saying we are first justified. That's the day that we come to Christ. That's the day of salvation. It happens one time in a person's life the day you're justified one time then the sanctification process begins and and that would be like Philippians 1 6 where it's God being faithful that he's begun a work in us to complete it to the day of of being glorified God is continuing 
to work in us in this sanctification process. It's ongoing from the day you're justified. The sanctification process continues until death, and that's the day of being glorified. Glorification happens one time, die face to face with the holy God, holy righteous God, a wonderful thought. Uh, So what we're talking about is what takes place in you and me from the day we're justified to the day we're glorified. So let's go and spend some time in Galatians 5. So first where I want to start is I want to start with the deeds of the flesh. And then I want to talk about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. So let's start in verse 16 of chapter 5. I want to start in 16 because what I want us to do is I want to compare and contrast the deeds of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit that is in us. So I'm going to start in verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousies, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty much sounds like a non-believer, doesn't it? As you talk about the deeds of the flesh. But I would want to also say, and I know you know this well, Jeremiah 17.9 talks about the deceitfulness of our hearts. I, the numerous times that I have been in counseling settings where people have been just up to their throat in sinful behavior, but they're trying to justify it. Maybe that God would want them to be happy. Or perhaps it really isn't that bad what they're doing. And, and they justify their sinfulness. And so we need to, to guard our hearts because it, they are deceitfully wicked. We can definitely convince ourselves probably just about anything would be good for us. As we talk about the deeds of the flesh, they can be put into three categories. The deeds of the f- first deed of the flesh would be the sexual nature. It's sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. That would be promiscuity. That could even be talking about the way we dress. Second would be deeds of false religion. Uh, that would be idolatry. Now, anything that we put before our worship of God. It could be good things. It could be wanting a job, wanting a spouse, wanting children. It it could be many good things that we can put in front of our worship of God. Witchcraft. The third would be deeds of the human relationships. And that's hatred, 
discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. <clears throat> Drunkenness, I would put in the, the second category of false religion. It's more of idolatry, the thinking that you deserve something, thinking that you can numb your pain of life or whatever. Orgies would be of the, the sexual nature, and the like is all three categories. So look at the Galatians again. What Paul is saying that prior to conversion, what was in our heart was sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, enviness, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. That's what was there before conversion. Paul gives a strong warning. If you look at verse 21 of chapter 5, Paul says, I warn you as I did before that those that live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This warning is an urgency to flee from the behavior. And Paul wants us to grow into what he's going to say next. What he's getting ready to say. Uh, let me stop and ask you know, are you living by the Spirit and if you say yes then you will not be gratifying the desires of the sinful nature the Spirit of God in us is in conflict with our flesh and our flesh is in conflict with the Spirit this does not mean perfection uh, that happens at glorification as sinners we will continue to sin to the day we die and sometimes we do manifest the deeds of the flesh. With our, our eyes wide open, let's compare the fruit of the Spirit working in the believer with the deeds of the flesh. I, in comparing it, I want to call it, and the way I like to put it is, is what's your ministry? Because ministry is active. Is your ministry the deeds of the flesh? Or is your ministry the fruit of the Spirit? What I'm not saying is there's a ministry out there to be had and you can have a ministry of deeds of the flesh. I am saying this for the sake of comparison because ministry is active behavior in our life. What, what is active in us? Am I sowing the deeds of, of the flesh right now or the fruit of the Spirit? Paul continues in verse 22 in chapter 5. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. John MacArthur says, and I think it's very helpful, contrasted with the deeds of the flesh is the fruit of the Spirit. Deeds of the flesh are done by the person's own efforts, whether saved or unsaved. The fruit of the Spirit, on the other hand, is produced by God's own Spirit and only in the lives of those who belong to Him through their faith in Jesus Christ. He goes on and he says, It's important to observe that the fruit here described is not produced by a believer, but by the Holy Spirit working through a Christian who is vital in vital union with Christ. The word fruit is singular, indicating that these qualities constitute a unity, all of which should be found in a believer who lives under the control of the Spirit. In an ultimate sense, this fruit is simply the life 
of Christ lived in the Christian. Let, let me stop and make a comment on what MacArthur's saying, this vital union with Christ. It, it's a call to be shepherding your heart. The only way you and I are going to have vital union with Christ is by us continuing to submit ourselves to the Word of God. And I, I will, let me say something else about this vital union with Christ. I, I come across many people, and there may be somebody in this room, and I don't mean to offend you, but I'm giving you my, my two cents. I talk to numerous people who, when I ask, how's your time in the Word? And they say, you know what, I, I really don't, but you know, I listen to sermons all the time. I always have a sermon on my iPod, and that's great. But it's the Word of God that is sharper than a two-edged sword. We need to be men and women that are having our eyeballs and our hearts in God's Word. I don't want to discourage you from listening to sermons, but please, it is a mistake if we substitute listening to sermons that definitely might have God's Word in it. it it's, it's not helpful for our walk to substitute being with God by being in his word this is this vital union is a call to shepherd our heart MacArthur continues and he says Paul is describing nine areas of a believer's life and what the life should look like look like <clears throat> MacArthur says it's important to remember that these are multiple characteristics of but one fruit and therefore they relate to one another they are not produced nor can they be manifested in isolation from each other uh, if you are not a loving person you probably are not going to be exhibiting self-control if you are not exhibiting self-control you're probably not very patient these all kind of hinge on each other before we dissect Galatians 5, 22 and 23 I want to go to what Jesus taught and it's in John 15 verses 1 through 5 so if you would turn there let me, let me read those five verses again this is very familiar John uh, 15, 1 starts with I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, Jesus is calling us to be shepherding our heart. He's telling us, apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to be fostering our vital union with him each of the characteristics of the fruit we are to exhibit often has one meaning to a Christian and a very different meaning to the secular world so let's see what scripture says about this fruit in a Christian's life and the first is love 
love, the form of love that most reflects personal choice, referring not simply to pleasant emotion or good feelings, but a willingness of self-sacrifice to be self-giving. Biblical love is an action. First uh, Corinthians 13 tells us love's patience. It's kind, does not envy, not boastful. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. And I think it's helpful to look at how God exampled love. In Romans 5.8, I'll read it, you don't need to go there. God demonstrated his love for us while we were sinners that Christ died for us. Jesus' example of love is found in John 15.13, where we're told that greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. And also scripture tells us how we're to imitate this love. In 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So in scripture, there's four different words that all translate in English to love. And the love that we see here in Galatians 5.22 is an agape love. It is a self-sacrificing love. And let me give you a few facts about love. When scripture speaks of God's love, it is almost always speaking of what Christ accomplished on the cross. So if if you're reading scripture and it's about God's love, the context is usually... And it'll let you know it's about what, what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. When scripture talks about a believer's love, almost every time it's describing the life, the context of dying to self for others or in worship to God. And this is, I think, really interesting. Paul, in the New Testament only makes two references, there's only twice, where Paul explicitly teaches that we're to have love for God. And I I find it interesting in counseling settings, I have seen so many times where people will, again, just be up to their eyeballs in sin, and they will say, but I love God. (laughs) And love is a dying to self. It's, It's... putting other people before us and it's not enough just to say I love God if you love me you'll obey my commands if you love me you are going to look like me so it's interesting because I I think the world has confused even the church on what love is it's an emotion it's a feeling But biblical love comes from God, it's commanded by God, and it's an action. You know, just for the sake of comparing and contrasting, consider love, dying to self for others, with the deeds of the flesh. Uh, Anger, the fits of rage, uh, selfish ambition, dissensions. Here we are, a biblical man to love, And it's recognizing, what could the deed of the flesh look like in me, in us? 
and just kind of compare. Here's biblical love, and here's the deed of the flesh. Is there, is there a sin here I need to confess? Do I need to agree with God? These thoughts, this behavior is sinful. And you'll hear this many times today. It's remembering 1 John 1 9. If God brings to mind that you have sinned in a, in a matter of a deed of the flesh, 1 John 1 9 should be very comforting to all of us. If, when we confess our sin, God's faithful, He's just, He forgives, and He cleanses. When we confess, there's four characters of characteristics of God that take place. And uh, we, I will continue bring us back to 1 John 1.9. The second fruit is joy. Joy is a deep down sense of well-being being that abides in the heart of a person who knows that all is well between the, himself and the Lord. The, the word joy is found 70 times in the New Testament. Almost every time it is signifying a feeling of happiness based on spiritual realities. Biblical joy is not dependent on our circumstances. So when you're reading through the New Testament and you come to the word joy, almost every time the context is a spiritual reality. This is very different from the secular world that exhibits joy based on things going on at that very moment. Can compare joy of the Christian and the deeds of the flesh for the believer. It's based on our redeemed state. We have joy because we're, we've been saved. For the world, they find their joy in the deeds of the flesh. Just a, a little theological truth here about uh, joy. The root word for joy is the same root word as for grace in the, in the Greek. And there's a very close connection between joy and grace. Joy is a gift to the believer. It's an inevitable overflowing of receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior and knowing his continued presence in our life. For the Christian, there is a... Con- of just knowing that all is well between you and the Lord. Christian joy is lived out in the midst of trials and suffering. It's marked by a celebration of the expectation of God's ultimate victory over the powers of sin and darkness. You know, again, let me stop. Are you looking for joy somewhere other than in your salvation? Are you looking for joy maybe in some of the deeds of the flesh? I think one of the the larger errors that Christians make is that we don't recognize the power of indwelling sin in ourselves. And if we were talking about D2 or D3, the power of indwelling sin in other people. This is a call to be shepherding your heart. If you see a lack of joy in yourself, for myself, I, I don't want to make assumptions for you. I'll tell you for myself. If you see a lack of joy in me, if I see a lack of joy in my own life, it typically may not be too far away 
from me practicing deeds of the flesh. And I would just encourage you, if, if you're sensing a lack of joy, look at the deeds of the flesh. Are you exhibiting any of those? Are there dissensions going on around you? Is there idolatry? Is there something that you want right now more than your relationship with the Lord? And maybe you guys aren't like me, but I'll tell you what, where there is a lack of joy, I I need to be on guard. I need to have my heart fully engaged. And I pray that you're not like me, and that if you aren't stressed... If you aren't in a joyful moment, that you wouldn't be near sin. The third uh, fruit is peace. Peace refers to tranquility of mind that comes from a saving relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to get through peace and then we'll take a quick break. Uh, But I'll tell you, you talk about a word that has a different meaning to the world. Peace is the, it's just huge. If you ask the average person that you walk down the street what peace is or what peace would look like, I am sure you would hear all our troops coming home. You would hear no more war. You'd hear about world peace. Uh, Peace has been the mantra in the secular world for years. But when you see peace in scripture, Almost every time the context, it's very clear that peace comes from the Lord, and from God, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Almost every time, I challenge you as you're reading the word, if you, if you see the word peace, check out the context. It is tied to, you're only going to receive it from the Lord. I want to show you something else about peace. Turn to John chapter 14. In John 14, in verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. John 14, 27 is Jesus' last will and testament. Let me explain what I mean by that. John 14 is right before Christ's death. Think about your parents. If if your parents die and they have a will and they leave you their china or their silver, at the time of their death, it is now yours. They left you $100. At the time of their death, that $100 is now yours. Here Jesus is preparing to die on the cross and he says, my peace I leave you, my peace I give you. It's ours. It is finished. If you're not sensing peace, the problem isn't that it hasn't been left. The problem is in your head and in your heart. Because his peace is perfect. It's been already given to us. Uh, Biblical peace, like joy, is not dependent on the circumstances of life. MacArthur's it's helpful he states that in the verb form peace has to do with a binding together as reflected by the modern expression having it all together it's everything is in its place 
peace is about our redeemed state our redeemed relationship our position with Christ let, let me just say let's compare and contrast biblical peace with the deeds of the flesh uh, if you are if the deeds that you are struggling with is maybe trying to control a situation you're causing dissension you are causing a faction uh, it's a lack of peace it's a lack of what Christ has already given to us if you're looking for peace in, in a job, in money in your children, in a spouse if you're looking for peace anywhere other than from God and the Lord Jesus Christ you're not going to find it. And the fourth fruit of the Spirit is patience. Patience is reflected by not being easily offended. It is the ability to put up with others, even when it's not easy to do so. God showed his patience with us by being long-suffering with us, and we were very rebellious. Paul's point is clear if God has been so long-suffering with us, should we not display the same grace in our relationships with each other? Uh, and again, that's how I have to protect my heart, and this is just one way it'll look for me. Uh, and this just happened yesterday. Oh, uh, but I prepared these notes long before yesterday. Uh, the telephone. I hate talking on the telephone. I cannot get off the telephone fast enough. I know people that know me well, my wife, they know where my attention is or where it's not. My attention is getting trying to get off the telephone. I hate talking on the telephone. I can truly say for me the telephone is an instrument that I can use to measure how I'm growing. It's loving for me to give my full attention to the person on the other end of the phone it's a lack of patience when I am not loving to the person that I'm speaking with uh, Lord grow me in that place yikes oh that's killer the fifth fruit is kind, kindness uh Kindness relates to tender concern for others. It is benevolence in action, such as God demonstrating towards men. I'm sure you've all seen the bumper sticker that says, practice random acts of kindness. Well, that's not exactly what biblical kindness is. It might make it a lot better living here on this planet, but that's not the picture of biblical kindness. Kindness, like patience, is a characteristic of God, and it will be reproduced in this, in this God's spirit in his people. Here's something really interesting about kindness. Almost every instance in Scripture where you see the word kindness, the context is almost always repentance. Think about Romans 2.4, and I love singing this song. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance? 
We are to imitate God in our kindness. God can and He does use His children as instruments here on earth to be used as instruments that would bring repentance. Again, in almost every instance, as you're reading through the New Testament and you see the word kindness, check me out, check the context. Almost always it's about repentance. And I I think it's absolutely amazing that God would use sinful people like us. God, the creator of everything, would use a sinner to be an instrument of kindness that another person may repent. For the sake of comparing and contrasting your ministry, when you're sinned against, Is it kindness that flows from your heart? Or is it hatred and discord? Is it jealousy? Is it fits of rage? Selfish ambition? Does kindness pour out of your heart? Do, Do you love to see repentance in another person when you've been sinned against? The sixth fruit is goodness. Goodness is both as an upright uprightness of soul and action reaching out to others to do good even when it's not deserved goodness is a characteristic that is produced in believers by the Holy Spirit the goodness is not natural quality or personality trait and the word goodness is only found four times in the New Testament and it's only used by Paul In a secular setting, you might hear somebody say, Oh, so-and-so, they did something out of the goodness of their heart. Well, that comes close to the meaning that we're dealing with. But this characteristic is produced by the Spirit of God. Our goodness is a form of worship. It's it's not for earning salvation. We, We practice goodness because of our love for God. We're not doing good deeds to earn our way to heaven. Let me give you a a picture of goodness from uh, the Gospels. And it's Matthew. You don't need to turn there. You'll be very familiar with it. It's Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. And, And the settings this is Mary's pregnant. Joseph, in their culture, they had not been together. They had not been intimate. And here she is pregnant. And Joseph's first thought was that he would divorce her quietly because he didn't want to bring disgrace to her. Uh, I think the typical reaction would be, uh, I ain't marrying the person. But Joseph cared so much after being sinned against is what his first thought would have been. But to to what would be best for this person? That, that's an act of goodness. Uh, the seventh fruit is faithfulness. Faithfulness pertains to loyalty and the trustworthiness. Our God and Savior is faithful. In manifesting faith, faithfulness, we're emulating God. And, and let me walk you through a few different pictures of faithfulness. God's faithfulness is described in Lamentations chapter 3 verses 22 and 23 and it's a very familiar passage I'm sure for you because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed for his compassions never fail they are new every morning great is 
God's faithfulness. Jesus' faithfulness is described in Philippians 2, verses 7 through 9. Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Jesus was faithful. A picture of, of our, what our faithfulness is is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. You know, we have been saved, and our lives need to keep in step with our redeemed state. We're called to be faithful men and women. And because of salvation, because of what the Lord has done in our life, we need to be exhibiting faithfulness. Uh, Revelation uh, chapter 2 verse 10 Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer I tell you the devil will put some of you in prison to test you And you will suffer persecution for 10 days Be faithful even to the point of death I will give you the crown of life Our faithfulness there becomes a a reward It's being face to face with the Lord in heaven But this looks a bit different than the secular person attempting to show faithfulness. Our faithfulness is demonstrated because of our love for God and our love for others. In uh, the eighth fruit, it's gentleness. Gentleness is the that temper of spirit in which the believer accepts his dealings as good and therefore without disputing or resisting. It is that humble and gentle attitude that is patiently submissive in every offense while being free of any desire for revenge or retribution. It is not only speaking of people's outward behavior towards fellow man, but it's also about the inward being. And gentleness is evidence of God's grace in a believer. I know before I was a Christian, I thought I was a Christian, but I wasn't a Christian. I was in my early 20s, I had heard the gospel, and I would tell you I was a Christian because I knew I didn't want to go to hell, but there truly was no life change. And I used to work at a a grocery store in Alpha Beta Markets, if you're old enough to remember that. And there used to be a guy that would come into the store, and and one evening he said, Tom, he goes, I gotta ask, are you a Christian? And of course I am. And he, I thought so. He goes, you're so gentle. And I thought nothing of it. You know, I'm sure I was welled up with pride thinking. I think so. and, and, but after coming to Christ, I began to, I remembered that conversation. I'm thinking, what did he see in me that was gentle? Does that mean I talk really soft? You know, what, what is this gentleness that he thought he saw? And it, it got me wondering, what is gentleness what is it to be gentle in in tv you see a toilet paper commercial and it talks about how gentle it is it's and and i'm trying to think what does this have to do with the fruit of the spirit in me 
and, and here's what it is. It's, it's, a, it's a picture of Matthew 5, verse 5. Matthew 5, 6 and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And verse 5, chapter 5, is right in the middle of the Beatitudes. And it says, Blessed is the meek, or it might say, Blessed is the gentle, they will inherit the kingdom of God. When you see gentleness in the New Testament, the context is almost always, test me on this, when you see gentleness in the New Testament, it is a demonstration of stubbornly trusting God. To be gentle is to be the kind of person that recognizes that you're not in control, that God is in control, Therefore, the gentle person can just sit back, trust God, rely on God. You don't need to be out there trying to do it all. Uh, You don't need to be out there exhibiting the deeds of the flesh. Think about this. In the midst of a circumstances in life where we should ultimately be trusting God, and when we're not, we're exhibiting if you're anything like me, you're exhibiting a, a deed of the f- flesh. You and I are called to be gentle. The Holy Spirit is going to grow us in gentleness. Gentleness is almost always referring to stubbornly trusting God. In the last fruit is self-control. Self-control refers to a person's ability to have mastery over one's desires and passions. In a secular setting, self-control would be the ability to control your emotions, to behave in a manner that you would receive an award or maybe avoid punishment. But biblical self-control has reference to restraining passion and appetites. For the Christian, we must exhibit self-control to be pleasing to God, It is in self-control that we grow as a believer. In growing in the fruit of self-control, we grow in our faithfulness to God. Let me just take a a few minutes to tell you how I practically will apply this in my own life. And uh, this is what I have found helpful for me in examining myself. Look at the the deeds of the flesh. Go back to verses 16 through 19. Uh, We're really going to look more at 1920. Evaluate yourself. And I realize most, hopefully most, Christians will say, of course I'm not sexually immoral. I'm not involved in witchcraft or debauchery. But how about some of the more respectable sins? Idolatry. Anything that we allow to take the place of God. Something we want that we want it more at that moment than we want than our relationship with the Lord. How about hatred and discord? How's my relationship with others? My relationship with my sisters, with my in-laws, with my parents relations with others in my small group jealousy do I have a desire am I becoming discontent with what the Lord has given me 
fits of rage would others around me characterize me as an angry person selfish ambition does my selfishness rear its ugly head dissensions and factions as far as it depends on me is there peace in my house is there peace where I work is there peace in your interactions with others in your life in the same way I will evaluate my life by the fruit of the spirit I, I will look and have I lacked love with others have I lacked love toward my wife if the Lord brings sin to mind I stop right there and I confess it on the spot remember 1 John 1 9 if we confess our sin God is faithful he's just he forgives and he cleanses he promises to change us if I've lacked joy in the midst of any circumstances again as I examine myself if the Lord allows me to see places in my life where I have lacked this joy I stop and I confess it I confess it as sin if I've lacked peace I have to remember this is what Jesus left us this is what Jesus left me if I'm not at peace in my situations or circumstances I need to agree with God that his peace is perfect and the problem is in my head it's in my heart I need to evaluate if I've been patient with others have I exhibited God's kindness with others and I remind you again kindness the context is always almost always very close to repentance am I a gentle person have there been situations where I have failed to trust God am I okay with the fact that God is the one who's in control and if I am just kind of at odds I need to confess that as sin are there areas in my life where I have failed to be self-controlled it is good for us to look at this and examine our lives both in the positive because it's easy for me to go and look at the fruit of the spirit and say oh yes I was loving when I did this and not take the time to look at the times where I haven't been loving or if it's joy it's easy for me to look at oh this is where I was joyful without looking at where I lacked joy I want to say something too because I realize frequently at Grace Bible Church you will hear the phrase to preach the gospel to yourself preach the gospel to yourself every day I think it's important to preach the gospel to yourself but I think it's important that we consider all aspects of the gospel and it's what we bring to the gospel what you and I bring to the gospel is our sin it's good for us to remember what Jesus Christ accomplished it is good for us to recognize what we bring because when we confess God's faithful he's just he forgives and he cleanses let me give you an example of what I mean another expression of preaching the gospel to to ourselves if I were to tell you wellspring is Saturday and it's over on 56th Street see you there at 7 a.m. you would say okay and you'd get in the car and you might get here and you might not get here 
you might be driving up and down 56th Street. What I told you was true, but it wasn't complete. So, just like the Gospel, it is wonderful for us to, to remind ourselves the truth of Romans 8, that there is no condemnation, there is nothing, our sinfulness for the Christian, nothing is going to separate us from the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not helpful if I don't tell you that it's at the corner of 56th Street in Galveston. So for ourselves too, I, I think I, I want us to remember what Jesus Christ accomplished. But if there's hope for change, I need to confess it because God promises change. And that's the truth of the gospel too. Uh, I'll tell you what, before I go on, because this is in this message that it pretty well wraps up the, the discipline one of the heart. And I'm going to talk about the practical implications of what happens in the home based on this message and what happens in ministry. Any questions before I go on? This is your chance to stump the elder. <laughs> Please feel free to stump. Yes, Sarah. Okay, I'll tell you what, let me do this. They, they are broken into three different characteristics, and I realize, who reads the NIV in here? Yikes, okay. For some reason, some other versions like to use words that just aren't that helpful, uh, but no. <laughs> No, not at all. I'll tell you, how about somebody read NASB and then somebody read ESV versus 19 and 20? Please read it, Barb. 19 and 20. And got it. And ESV? Nobody has ESV in here. Okay. Are you? Wait a second. Wait a second. Two, two ESV is it? Tell, tell me this isn't true. I gotta know. ESV. Who's reads ESV in here? Okay. There's just some people being shy that want you to have to read, Erica. These are your friends. These are your friends. <clears throat> Erica, would you mind reading 19 and 20? Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, Okay, thank you. Okay, the, the three areas that we can break up these deeds of the flesh first is in the sexual nature and that would be sexual immorality impurity debauchery and debauchery is not a really a word that is common and so i would say promiscuity would be very helpful to to understand that uh paul as he continues on he uh goes back after he lists others he talks about uh, orgies and the like that would also be fitting into the sexual nature the deeds of sexual nature the second are the deeds of false religion 
and that would be idolatry remember the Israelites bowing down to the golden calf it's the foolish things that we like the little golden calf that we think is so ridiculous that anybody would bow down to it's the things that we put up in place of God before God and uh and witchcraft would be very much the same as a false religion and the third character characteristic of the deed of the flesh would be in our human relationships and that would be the hatred the discord jealousy fits of rage selfish ambition dissensions factions envy and the like uh, I, I think it's helpful to uh, to recognize those three areas that way as you are evaluating yourself it, it's easy I think for me if breaking it down that way it helps me recognize where the sinfulness is and what is going on any other questions this is way too easy I was expecting something much more difficult than this nope okay I will continue on then Yes, Bart. You know, when you were talking about um, uh, kindness, um, it's almost always about repentance. Are you talking about repentance in another person or repentance in the person being kind? Yes. Both. 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 Absolutely. Uh, all right. Yes, Erica. So, if, if a believer is struggling with the fruit of the Spirit, your counsel would be then, as God brings it to mind and shows you things of the flesh, that you would confess quickly and repent, and then cry out towards help, and then look for opportunities to basically submit to the Lord as He is growing that fruit in you? Yes. Uh, let me. Boy, and I'm going to make a statement that is so general, and I'm probably going to regret it after I do it. Uh, as Christians, there will be times where we will sin, we will exhibit deeds of the flesh. I'm going to generalize here. I would encourage a person that would characterize them their own life as this is the type of person I am and it's one of the deeds of the flesh really do some soul searching to what's going on in your heart we are prone to sin we will sin we are battling flesh and spirit is battling if you are characterized by I'm not saying you're not a Christian I'm saying do some soul searching God please change me uh, so did I answer your question okay let me talk about that for just a second uh, if you sense a one of the deeds of the flesh in your life and, and maybe you'd even say I'm characterized this way I, I plead with you I beg with you to go to God and confess it recognize that this being characterized when I say characterized you're, you're one of people would 
to be characterized is is it's what your image is it's what you are it's not just a sin that might rear its ugly head but you're characterized this way I encourage you go and confess to the Lord his mercies are new every morning uh, it is so easy to be ensnared in, in sin and I don't want you to take away Tom said if you do this and you characterize yourself this way you're not saved I'm, I'm, not, I'm telling you indwelling sin the power of indwelling sin is like a strong magnet and it pulls us we are at battle and that is why we need to be shepherding our heart we need to be keeping God God's word fresh in our mind we need to continue to grow we need to continue to combat our flesh with truth Uh, is that clear and if I need yes and it's not clear You have a pulse and you're a sinner. question or comment?
maybe we tend to, you know, we can see our sin, we can evaluate that, we can confess our sin. Mm-hmm. I, in a practical way, obviously we need to check for our hearts, but I, I've heard this, I've said this, kind of like, okay, I'm shepherding my heart, I'm getting in the Word every day. It's not working! I two things I want to say to that. Uh, before First John one nine comes First John one five, and it says something. I'm paraphrasing. It says something to if I call something that is dark light, and God calls it dark. So in other words, if I call something okay behavior and God calls it sin, I call God a liar. Uh, if you are, if a person is in sin and wants to say the sinful behavior is okay, uh, that'd be a woa. Uh, watch out. If we're calling sinful behavior by whatever, we're justifying it for whatever reason, that is car. I need to be watching my heart. I need to guard myself because I have to agree with God. If God calls, and I realize believers can do this. Believers in uh, can, can sin, thinking that their behavior is okay, but they won't stay there. At some point, they'll say, "I agree with you, God. This is a sinful behavior." The, the second thing that kind of touching more so on what Sarah said is are you willing to have accountability in your life? Are you willing, and this is the James 5.16, confess your sins once to another. Do you, are you willing to solicit the help of your spouse, a trusted friend? This is an area where I continue to find myself battling. I'll tell you for myself, and I think this is true of all of us, once the words come out of my mouth and I'm confessing my sin and asking for prayer, it's almost immediately the Lord honors my humility and He will change me. So I would say being transparent, finding people that you trust to be praying for you, uh, and it's a matter of, of not being prideful, and it is walking in humility. Lori, did you have a question too? Well, I, you kind of answered it. I, I wanted you to walk us through how how it looks in your life when you when you feel that um, you're going in a direction with your thoughts or your your response to a person that you are feeling like okay. This Right. How, how do you rein that in and, and turn it? What does that look like? Hmm. All depends how long that rain is. Uh, you know, I I would say this. There's times where I could be whirling in the mire of a situation and and I'm thinking of a situation right now where it took me probably a month, two months, 
maybe three months to really kind of grasp the problem Tom that's going on is a lack of peace and in grabbing hold of the reality that what was stirring in my heart was just a lack of peace of what the Lord's doing uh, A, I confessed it as sin I, I recognized it for what it was I can tell you in the midst of this because I it was a situation that I'm the one I'm thinking of where I saw myself holding to the word of God rightly and I um, got this stirring and troubling me and it wasn't no matter how right my view of scripture was it was a lack of peace and I confessed it uh, to myself to the Lord I, I praised God that he allowed me to see it was a lack of peace I told the elders Hey, this is, I'm struggling with this, and this is a lack of peace. Forget, forget the heat in my life that's causing it. The reality of it is, is here's what's going on. I am not thrilled with what the Lord has given me for this day, and I'm not at peace. And, and I will say, God honored that. God, God grew me in that. Were there times where I'd still go back, and there might not be the peace? Yeah, but at least I was able right away to recognize. So the rain was very short. I, I recognized it quickly. Tom, right now you're just not... This is what the Lord has for you. Are you okay with what the Lord has for you? Oh, okay. So, I think, though, if you're not shepherding your heart, that rain is going to get longer and longer and longer. And it's a dangerous place to be. Because the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Do I believe that? Yes, I do. Any other questions? Yes. Let me, let me touch on D2 and D3. Uh, here's what happens next. We get through chapter 5 and Paul goes to chapter 6. In verses 1 and 2, he says, Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens in this way, and you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let me just talk about how we do this. We, we do it, and the Word tells us we do it gently. And we do it gently because 
we want if somebody were to come to us we'd want them to be gentle with us as well we would want them coming in a spirit of trusting God that they're not feeling like they have to be the Holy Spirit to make sure that they get me to be convicted of my sin or that you go and you you have to be certain that you're convicting them uh, no we do it just trusting God and here's how we do it trusting God instead of telling somebody I'm going to I'll say this and I'll tell you something true uh, well the, the whole thing's true so forget what I just said anyway uh, if, if you go to somebody asking questions and allow the Holy Spirit to convict them of their wrong behavior I don't need to go and say to you this is your sin this is where you're lacking joy this is you know but what you do is you ask questions you know what would joy look like in this situation you know has this caused you to have factions or or dissensions in your family with what's what you're kind of thinking about here go asking questions I'm going to be really really honest and this speaks to I think the maturity in our church here I can only think of two times where I have, have had this just say stop you're in sin if you ask questions what my experience has been at Grace Bible Church by asking questions people say uh, what you're telling me I should be look this is sinful behavior you're absolutely right I'll, I've, I've agreed with many people that what they're doing might be sinful but there's only been two times where after asking questions and they've refused to see the sinfulness where I've had to say, you know, I, I, the action and your behavior here is sinful. So go and ask questions. And let me give an exa- another example in the home. Some have younger children. Some will have children, Lord willing. And, but, you know, if you are dealing with a child, the problem's not the problem is what I like to say. The problem isn't that the bedroom's not clean the problem could be a lack of faithfulness and so instead of yelling well you could yell and sometimes the bedroom will get clean but asking the child you know there's an expectation that you clean your room what would faithfulness look like because God is looking for faithfulness in us helping another person recognize what it is that God looks for in us you read the whole Old Testament I'll sum it up in one sentence God just wanted them to be faithful that's all he wanted and that's what he wants from us so helping your child instead the goal isn't a clean room a goal isn't emptying the garbage a goal is faithfulness how do we teach faithfulness and I believe we teach faithfulness by asking questions what would faithfulness look like and if they give you an off the wall answer and you're saying I, I, I don't think that's what that's when you could teach and you can instruct no this is what faithfulness would look like you, you haven't told them their error you've told them what rightness is and they can see the error and, and, and it's so sweet when you help somebody see what right behavior is and they recognize what wrong behavior is and they recognize the light goes on uh, and, and that is how we apply this message into our home into our ministry keeping in mind uh, usually the problem's not the problem 
the problem usually looks really 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 big and the problem is right here in the heart so it might not be the action but it's what's going on here uh, let me also say this each week you know we take the Lord's Supper together frequently I'm not going to tell you every week but frequently that's what I will look through is the deed of the flesh the fruit of the spirit and I will examine my life and just how am I doing at just being the man of God that God's called me to be let me pray and then you guys will do small groups thank you so much it was a blessing it was truly a blessing for me to prepare this and it was a blessing to be here with you so I'll pray Lord I thank you for your word Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. Father, I praise you that you've given us a, a brain to, to understand your word. Lord, I pray for each of us that we would be quick to recognize our own sinfulness. Father, that we would just pursue you in pursuing your spirit's work in our life. Lord, I, I praise you that you promised that you want to give us your spirit in fullness Lord what an awesome truth that your will for our life is that we would that we would just example the fruit of the spirit that the spirit would be dwelling in us in all fullness Lord I praise you for that Lord, thank you for not just leaving us here on earth to figure this out for ourselves. Lord, again, in light of this weekend that we celebrate the risen Savior, Father, thank you for your Son. It it is only because what he has accomplished that these truths can be effective in our life. Father, I, I pray, Lord, as I close knowing that we've talked a lot about sin and and maybe there's been conviction. Father, I praise you for the truth of your gospel that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Father, I praise you there is no height, there's no depth, there's nothing in all of creation that will separate us from you. You are an awesome God. We praise you. Father, we give you this day. We give you our lives. We pray all this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.